0: Well, my name is Kyle, so if you're visiting with us, I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, If you are visiting, I just want to say one thing. There's a Connect card in the seat back in front of you. If you'll grab that at some point during the service and just fill it out, we'd love to know that you're here. Uh, But more than that, uh, we've got a gift for you. And the only way you can get your gift is you fill that out and you turn it in to Miss Kay back here. She's got the worship guides as you came in and she'll be around the corner there. So uh, just make sure you get that to her. We're glad you're here today. Uh, are you having a good day? Yeah. All right. If you're good, say yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Good. Good. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one. Uh, I want to mention real quick that in a couple of weeks, May 20th, we are. I've been keeping this before you, but we've got some guys who have been going through our our elder training process and our elder candidate process, I guess, which is a 12-week time of just training and instruction and talking through. And so uh, those guys are Sam Sharp, Corey Cheatham, Seth Penner, and Alan Garrett. All right, and so I'm I'm mentioning their names because I want you to, one, pray for them, please. Please be praying. But in a couple of weeks, we're going to be done with our process. In fact, we we are done. They're going to take a week and just Make sure that the Lord is affirming this in them, confirming this uh, to them, and so. um, But on May 20th, we're going to present them before you guys. We're going to lay hands on them, commission them as elders of New Life Church, Magnolia. Sorry, New Life Community Church. Old habits die hard, right? And so, uh, and and so, I'm excited about that. But the reason I bring their names up is because one of the qualifications of elders that he be a man above reproach. All right. And so the only way we know that these men are above reproach is to try them uh, on the playground of community. All right. And so you guys know them maybe better than I do, though I doubt it. Uh, You know them well. You may know things about their past. And so I just ask that if you have an issue, you have a question like, are you sure that this guy's the guy? Then we want you to bring that up. All right. So you can come to myself or Jasper, who's walking down the aisle here. We are the, the the two staff elders right now. So you can come to one of us, and we'll be glad to uh, hopefully help reconcile that or bring that up among those guys. And they would like to know that as well, because if they've done something um, that isn't above reproach, they would like to make that right. Amen? Amen. So, y'all be praying for them. May 20th, we're going to have a little uh, commissioning service right here in the middle of our service. So that'll be be fun. So we're in week three of Colossians. Uh, I I was here week one Then Jasper preached week two. Y'all give Jasper a hand. I heard it was great. Yeah. Amen. Um, It's a it's a joy for me to know that if I go away, there is a man uh, who can step in and preach God's word and and all of you will eat well that morning. So I'm glad that he did that. Grateful for him. So week one of Colossians, we talked about just the pressures that were on these brothers and sisters at Colossae being just outside of Rome. We talked about the pressure of uh, submitting to Rome or to put your trust into Rome because Rome was a superpower then more so even than we might consider America today. And so the, the pressure was there to place all of your trust in Rome, uh, to, to kind of pledge your allegiance to Rome. And this, this was uh, infiltrating the church. It was messing up believers. They were starting to wonder, am I a citizen of another kingdom or am I a citizen of Rome? What's safer? What's more beneficiary? And so they, um, they were struggling with that. I think I said beneficiary. Beneficial. There we go. All right. So uh, and then the second thing was syncretism. Now, syncretism is this idea that as you hear about other religions, you hear about other things going on or other gods or other uh, thoughts about whatever, you start to blend that with Christianity. So you've got brand new brothers and sisters in Christ uh, this is not like it is for us in the Bible Belt, where you hear about the Lord from the time that you are in the womb to the time that you exit the womb to the time that you lay on your deathbed. This is not that way. This was brand new for these brothers and sisters, so they're hearing about the Lord. They surrender to Him, and then they they realize that there's all these other beliefs around me, and they kind of sound like Christianity, or they kind of look like Christianity, and so the 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 fear there, or the I guess the 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 whatever word you're looking for, that was to, the tendency, there we go, was to grab pieces of all of those religions and and kind of lump them together. And then you get this convoluted mess that may have the Christian label on it, but it's certainly not Christianity. I'll talk to you guys about how that was largely, to some extent, my experience growing up in church, um, that, that I saw things that had the label of Christianity, but in no way resembled the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um and so, this is what we're dealing with. And so, Colossians 3.17, we get the, just the crux of the book. Uh, and so, we've labeled this series, All for Christ. And, and Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so, everything we talk about during these weeks is going to be about how we do that thing for Christ. And so today, our topic is maturity or maturation for Christ. How do we mature in Christ? And so that's what I want to talk to you about today, but let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before You today. We need You. We need You to help us to understand Your Word today. We need You to guide us through these things. Father, I pray more than my voice that these people now hear the voice of the Holy Spirit that You instruct, and that You teach from Your Word in a way that would bring about life change. Father, we love You. We're grateful to be here today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, one of the most helpful realizations I've come to in life is this understanding that we are all disciples. Now, this is certainly true of us as Christians. We are disciples. We call ourselves disciples of Christ. But what's even more true, or what's as equally as true, is that we are all disciples, whether believer or unbeliever, we're all disciples of something. We're actively growing in knowledge, we're actively growing in our understanding of something. We are maturing in some way, into something. So you can be a disciple of many things. You can be a disciple uh, of many things often at the same time, a lot like syncretism or uh, other and it doesn't always mean that it's in bad ways either so here's an example of this for for one person you may be a disciple as an employee right? you may you're a disciple of those who are training you of those who are leading you on on your jobs you're 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 kind of their disciple in that role yeah, as a parent uh or a spouse or a friend whatever else your role is in life you are a disciple based on your experience your, your culture, your beliefs, and your influencers. Whatever it is that's influencing you is discipling you. And so, I don't want anybody to make this mistake. We are all disciples of something. We're following something. Now, the spiritual truth behind this is, this, this felt truth of uh, we're all following something. The spiritual truth, or what God's Word would tell us, is that you are either a disciple of the world that you're following the ways and the patterns and the customs of the world according to romans 12 1 and 2 or you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you are a follower of the word so you're either a follower of the world or you're a follower of the word of god but you you're you're one or the other now this is true for both unbelievers and believers but but just because you're a believer doesn't mean you're still You aren't still buying into or following the ways of the world. That that old man, he don't die easy, right? There are things about me that resemble the old me, the me before Christ, the the me that I'm trying to actively mortify, amen? Trying to get rid of. And then there's the me that is being transformed day by day into a better version or a a like version of Christ and, and that these two things compete in me every single day Amen. then I, I wake up every day realizing my fallen nature as a human And that I'm going to struggle today, that I'm going to deal with temptation and sin, and that I'm not going to make good decisions, that I'm going to probably pop off to my kids in a way that I'll regret, or to my wife in a way that I would regret, or that I'll treat someone in a way that is unloving. I don't intend to do that, right? I don't wake up in the morning and say, man, I hope I'm a real jerk to my kids today. That would be awesome. Nobody's waking up saying it, but we find ourselves doing it in those moments. And we wrestle with that and we come back later and we're like, man, I was a, I was a real jerk to my kids. I need to go apologize to them. I need to ask the Lord to forgive me for that. That's the part of us that's being transformed into that new man. amen. But we're still wrestling with the old man constantly. Now, because all of this is true, you are growing according to one of those two standards, either according to the standard of the world or according to God's standard now the world's standard for maturity is drastically different than god's standard for maturity but i think we've gotten these what christianity in a way has adopted some of the world's customs for maturity and we're blending them together trying to make it look like christianity so that it appeals to the world but all we're doing is looking like the world with the name christ attached to what we're doing and this is where we must be very careful the world would say things like if you'll follow your heart, you'll be happy. God's word says that your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things who can know it. The world would say success is measured by your status, how big you are in another person's eyes, how awesome you look. It's measured by maybe your style or it's measured by your security. The, 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 the secure frame that you are building for yourself so that one day you can retire and enjoy life on the beach somewhere. But but Jesus would say, God's word would say, that success is measured more by things like humility. Things like those who are first will be last, but those who are last shall be first in the kingdom. That, that we should be servant leaders. It's measured by things like contentment, that that we should not be grasping for everything that our heart desires, but yet we should learn how to be content with what the Lord has given us. And that in contentment, we find something better than a worldly happiness that cannot ever really be attained. You know this if you've been striving for things, you find yourself always wanting more. Or it's measured by a thing called trust. Trusting instead of in myself, I trust in the Lord. That would be God's standard for success. The two views on maturity are just worlds apart. And so this leads to this false teaching. It leads to this immaturity that looks like maturity because it looks like the rest of the world or the people we count successful in the rest of the world. And we must be careful because Christianity is quite different than the rest of the world. I've got this verse in 2 Timothy 3. This kind of describes to me a great picture of what our world looks like today. And so I just want to read it to you. It says, But understand this, that in the the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They'll be proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable slanderous without self-control brutal not loving good treacherous reckless swollen with conceit lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of god having the appearance of godliness but denying its power avoid such people now we're not going to get into a debate on the last days this morning because we just don't have time for that and none of us really knows But I would argue that that looks a whole lot like the world we live in today. That 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 looks like the heart of humanity that I see on display today and that was most certainly on display even when this was written. Now those kinds of people are the people trying to disciple us today. They're the ones that we're looking at and we're saying, no, they're, they're successful. They're not treacherous. So Christian discipleship should look drastically different than that list today, but often it doesn't because we're pursuing what our hearts desire and and trying to attach Christ to it, trying to force the mold of Christ on that so that people will approve of it, so that we can justify our wrong actions before God. Now, you may not see through it, and people around you may not see through it, but rest assured, God sees through that. And He knows the very intent of our heart, the motive of our heart, things that Jeremiah 17 would say we're, we cannot even be aware of. And so, the, what's the difference then? What's the difference between a worldly discipleship and Christian discipleship? Worldly maturity, Christian maturity. What, what's the difference? It's Christ. Christ at the start of my my new life. It's Christ in the beginning as I'm being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And then it's Christ at the end as I am finally transformed from this worldly life to final glorification with the Lord. So, So what does maturity in the believer look like and how do we promote it among ourselves? This is what Paul is writing about in our text in Colossians today. So if you have it, let's, let's read it. Colossians 1.24. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of His body that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this ministry, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, this is important. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present Everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ." in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So clearly I'm going to argue for Christian discipleship today. I want to argue for what it looks like to be a mature follower of Christ. And so I, I think this is going to happen. I think the process happens, and, and I've just formulated this sentence, as you can see in your notes. All right, So this sentence is just going to walk us through the text, and it's going to look like what it looks like for us, while also how we impact the world and help others attain maturity in Christ too. All right, So the, the first thing is by His work in us. By His work in us, the work of maturing must start with God's work in us. If you remember verse 27, to them God chose to make known how glorious the mystery which is Christ in you. And then from Jasper's text last week, he he ended with these, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him so you were once separated but god through the death of his son has made reconciliation possible and so i say you were once separated to the believers in here because by faith in christ you have been united once again with god that you can experience peace with god no longer under his wrath but if you have not placed your faith in christ jesus you have not been reconciled to God. You, you take hold of the righteousness of Christ by placing your faith and your trust in Christ alone. And it's by your faith alone in His finished work that you are justified. Amen? So it's by God's grace, through faith in Jesus, that you are reconciled. No longer do you have to be an estranged person wandering around looking for a savior but now you can be brought into the family as a daughter or as a son of God because of Christ what a glorious truth we don't want to jump ahead if we hope to grow in maturity for Christ we must first be in Christ any maturity outside of Christ is worldly maturity it's ungodly Godly maturity happens when we come to Jesus over and over and over and over and over again. And we trust Him with our lives over and over, daily. I think this is why Jesus said, daily, take up your cross and follow me. He knows that we need to daily be reminded afresh of the new mercies that are in God. Daily we need to be reminded of the grace that is sufficient for us in Christ. That daily we need a new power and a new strength to walk in Christ. Daily. It's a a one-time decision, sure, but it is a daily, a daily coming to the Lord. A daily trusting in Him. So by His work in us, that must happen first, we proclaim His gospel. If you're following along, we proclaim His gospel. Paul says, to Him we proclaim all. We we proclaim Him to all. What What a statement, and it's seemingly simple to us as Gentiles a couple of thousand years afterwards. But this was absolutely profound when it was written because originally... God was for a people group. He was for the Jews. And so now this is being proclaimed to Gentiles, people who were not Jews, people who were enemies of God. This message is being proclaimed to them. And Paul is reiterating that, that Him we proclaim to all this isn't a message then for a select few it's the mystery of God's redemption and it's been fully revealed to us in Christ Jesus If you remember from John chapter 1 we see that Jesus was the glory of God revealed for us this is who Christ is so Paul says we preach Christ crucified and here he's saying him we proclaim so what's the message that we're proclaiming it's the work of Christ It's what He's accomplished. So let me tell you how this works. Are you seeking to be at peace with God? Or in life? Well, then you must go through Christ to obtain peace. Are you trusting in your good works to present those before God one day in heaven? Well, you will be disappointed because only the work of Christ is enough? Are you depressed? Are you defeated? Are you in despair? It is by coming to Christ that you will find joy and peace and hope for your soul. If we hope to grow in maturity for Christ, we must proclaim Him to ourselves Over and over. And if we hope to see others transformed, then we must proclaim the work of Christ to them. Now specifically, as Christians, not only do we proclaim the Bible and the work that God has done there, but we also have first-person experience to tell others about what the Lord has done in our life. That He has taken me from the grave and given me a brand new life like we sang about this morning. That He is the God that saves, but not only has He rescued me from spiritual death and brought me into spiritual life, He's given me hope when I was in despair. He's given me joy when I was depressed. There are all sorts of things that we get to tell others about when it comes to the work of God. And 2 Corinthians 5 commissions all of us as ministers of reconciliation it says that when you received your new life you were putting away the old things and that upon taking on that new life you were given the ministry of reconciliation meaning that you were given the job or the task or the joy i like that word better than job and task you were given the joy of telling others about the reconciling work of christ and we get to proclaim that. We get to tell people about that. We get to brag about Him when we're weak. Oh man, how are you such a good father? How do you find the time to pay attention to your wife in that way? How, do you, how are you such a good friend? Why do you listen so well? Why are you so tender-hearted? Why do you care so much? It's like, oh man, brother, let me tell you about what the Lord's done in my life. You should have known me before. You wouldn't say anything like that about me beforehand. Right? I mean, it's really easy to insert the work of Christ into conversation. And we talk about the things we're passionate about, so don't let me get on you too hard here. But we find it easy to talk about our hobbies. We find it easy to talk about our work. We find it easy to talk about what we're selling this month. But none of that is going to save someone from damnation. None of that is going to pull a soul from the fire of hell. But man, we're passionate about it. And it's okay to be passionate about things that aren't in the Bible. It's okay. I'm not condemning that. I'm just asking, do we balance that? Is there salt in our talk? Do we see the salt of the Lord? Do we see the light of the Lord in what we say and in what we do? It's a good diagnostic question to ask ourselves. This is not a preacher beating you over the head. This is not preacher abuse. Amen? Without the proclamation of Christ, you will look like every other moral person on earth. It's Christ who is the difference. It's Christ who is the difference. He's not an add-on. He is the difference. So it's by His work that we proclaim His gospel... And man, it's going to be hard work. So we've got to do this by joyfully suffering, joyfully toiling, joyfully struggling. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. I toil. I'm struggling. You see, statements like this truly reveal how backwards Christianity is compared to our nature. Saying I rejoice in my sufferings is foreign to me. (laughs) Naturally, I don't rejoice in my sufferings. I'm more likely to complain about my sufferings. Maturity brings this new perspective, though, and so I think there's at least three things that I want to share with you very quickly about suffering. One is it identifies you with Christ. It identifies you with Christ. Romans 8, 16, and 17 says this, It says, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We need a better understanding of our suffering, folks. We need to understand that suffering is an opportunity for great joy. We need to understand that the world hated Christ. And if the world hated Christ, how much more will it hate us for talking about Christ? They're going to hate us. We should expect nothing less. This is why Jesus says, expect nothing less. He says, blessed are you when the world hates you, for they also hated those before you. Rejoice, because your reward is in heaven. This is what Paul meant when he said, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. He is saying that I am being identified with Christ in my affliction because the world didn't get to afflict Christ like they wanted to. They thought they did, and then He rose again. They lost that battle, and so now the world continues, the enemy continues to use people to afflict the brethren, to afflict faithful brothers and sisters. People who are striving hard to serve the Lord. And so our our suffering identifies us with Christ. We will suffer. So as James 1 says, rejoice! Because it's producing for you endurance. Matthew 16, Jesus leaves us with the words, Take heart, because I have overcome the world. The second thing about suffering is it sanctifies us. Yes, you heard that correctly. It sanctifies us. It helps transform us from one degree of glory to the next. Romans 5, 3-5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, sorry, let me skip down, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our Hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That word suffering there, when Paul says that, he's speaking of various trials. Trials of various kinds, all kinds. Physical, mental, social, or economic adversity. Whatever your trial is, that's what Paul's talking about. That's the suffering he's talking about. And then he says that that suffering gives way or gives birth to endurance. Now endurance means steadfastness. And what he has in mind is especially steadfastness inwardly, inner steadfastness. Sometimes I think we confuse steadfastness with my situation needs to stay the same if I'm going to be steadfast. But Paul's saying that that steadfastness is taking place in here. Your situation may change. You may go through the most hellish time that anyone could imagine. And yet, that suffering is producing in you steadfastness, an ability to remain steadfast right in here in Christ. And that you can trust in that. And the reason you can trust in that is because it's going to give way to character. He uses the word character, he means dependable, reliable. He's talking about integrity. So, <laughs> your trial, your suffering, gives way to endurance, which gives way to character. And your character then produces in you hope. Now this is all we've got to stand on, folks, when we hit suffering. We have the hope of Christ. The hope of a better day. The hope of final redemption. It's an expectation of the glory of God or of God's final redemption. It's knowing that there will one day be no more tears. There will one day be no more pain. There will one day be no more suffering. But until then, I hold on to the joy that is in me, which is Christ my King. And that may be all you have to hold on to. When we count our sufferings, it's good for us to remember a guy like Job, who in the matter of about 24 hours lost his family, he lost his wealth. When I say family, I mean his wife, his kids. And he had friends telling him that he needed to just curse God, questioning his faith. And Job remained it. He remained eventually, in the end, steadfast. It was the hope of God that kept him. One of my favorites is found in Corinthians where Paul writes that that suffering is building for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That all these hurts, all these pains, all this sadness and sickness and loss, all of this is building for me an eternal weight Of glory with Christ Jesus, of which nothing can compare. There are days where that is my only hope. But in my low times and my depressed times and my times of despair, I only have the King to hold on to. And I know that one day he's going to set it all right. That's hard. I'm grateful for my Savior. I don't know how people suffer without Him. The third thing about suffering is it encourages the saints. I'll just say this. Paul in verses chapter 2 of Colossians verse 1 and 2, he said, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, that your hearts may be encouraged. You see, suffering allows us to stand together. Suffering allows us to be encouraged by other believers in the middle of our times of suffering. It allows us to encourage other people in their times of suffering. This is why community is so important to your maturity. It's, it's in the suffering of which you will find lifelong brothers and sisters in the Lord. I, I'm thinking now of a few faces just in here, in your story within the last couple of years, and how in the middle of great pain you have found lifelong brothers and sisters in Christ. Praise God for His faithfulness in that. In that, we get to encourage one another towards Jesus. In that, we get to love one another in a way that's hard for us all. Weeping with someone. Rejoicing when there's time to rejoice. So I say let us joyfully suffer. Let us joyfully toil and struggle for Christ, for our maturity, and for the maturity of Of others also. So by his work, we proclaim his gospel by joyfully suffering, toiling, and struggling for the saving and sanctifying of his people. I say saving because justification proceeds sanctification without a transformed heart that means justified before the Lord as right with God because of Christ without that you will not have a transformed mind and therefore you will not have a transformed life Romans 12 2 says this by the renewing of your mind that you are transformed and so justification and sanctification happen through proclaiming Christ We proclaim Christ by warning and teaching everyone with God's truth. That is His wisdom. So that they become fully mature followers. Now Paul has described this process of making disciples. What we need to understand is that salvation is not the end of our life. It is the beginning. That's why it's called a rebirth. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he's like, what more would you have me do? And Jesus says, you must be reborn. And Nicodemus says, how can I go back into my mother's womb? Seems like a good question to me. And Jesus says, no, the rebirth I'm talking about is not physical, but spiritual. You must go through a spiritual rebirth. Receive a new man, a new nature. And it looks the same in a lot of ways as what we see when a child is, or when a baby is born and then raised to adulthood you start off drinking milk and then you may move towards some solid food and then you may move towards some 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 real food some good food you start off crawling before that it's scooting (laughs) and then it's crawling and then it's getting up and trying to take a step and you take a step or two and you fall on your face and then you get back up and you take a step or two or maybe three this time and you fall again But before you know it, you're running through fields. You're climbing trees. You're enjoying life. But it's a hard process. This is spiritual maturity 101. This is what it looks like for us. Going from infants to adulthood. And the reason this happens, the way this happens, is by warning people, instructing them, rebuking them, Counseling them concerning their behavior from God's word, namely that your behavior is in violation to God's word, calling them to repentance in that. And we also teach, which is still more instruction, but it's in, it's this idea of having someone beside you in life, and you're imparting skills and knowledge to them. It's close-knit community with someone so that you're teaching them this is good and right and it's enjoyable but but where your discipleship will be really begin to take form and to flourish is in a home group and, and then beyond the home group, it's when you find one or two people in there that you, man, you're like, I, I've got something with that person. I enjoy being around them. they got some stuff I need to learn. My heart is wretched here, but that brother over there, he knows how to love his wife in ways that I don't, and I need to learn from him. And so you go to him, and you're like, I need you to teach me. Can we do coffee once a week? Can we get together? Discipleship happens in Celebrate Recovery. It's this idea of laying your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups before the Lord and saying, help me, transform me. I cannot do this without you. But I also can't live with this hurt and this hang-up anymore. As Christians, this is our business. It's not just for the elders. It's not for the deacons. It's not just for the home group leaders or the serve team leaders or the teachers. It's for... Christians, when Jesus speaks of discipleship, when Paul talks about discipleship, he has in mind the work of all believers. Now certainly, people are gifted to teach and to instruct and to train and to lead. Ephesians 4 says as much. Let me read it to you quickly. He says this, "...and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers... and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, meaning we tell others, we warn them, we teach them. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. Each part working together properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. This is a joint effort. This church is a team sport. Discipleship is a team sport. I need you, you need me, we need one another for this. This will not work without us all working together. So by His work in us, we proclaim His gospel by joyfully suffering, toiling, and struggling for the saving and sanctifying of His people powered by His energy. I thank God that that He would have this sentence added in verse 29. It's not by my energy, Paul says. It's by... The energy of God Himself. It's His energy working powerfully in me. That's the key to our maturity. It's the key to the maturity of others. It's the key to remaining steadfast. Once we make this our work, once church or discipleship becomes about us, we will grow tired and we will burn out. I don't want you to miss this. You hear about people getting burned out in church. Here's when burnout happens in church. Burnout happens when we do God's work our way. When we make it about us, that's when burnout happens. Because Paul's saying there is available to us a Spirit-filled power that works in us and through us, strengthening for the work of the Lord. So yes, we work hard. Yes, we suffer. Yes, we toil and struggle and strive, but you do not do that under your own strength. Please, for the sake of all of us and yourself, don't. You must do it through Christ. We must abide in Him. Jesus says, "Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you'll abide in me, you'll bear much fruit." So let us abide in Christ. Why? Paul finishes with this little idea here. He says, essentially so that our faith is marked by good order and firmness guarded against false teaching. When he talks about good order and firmness, he has in mind the military. You think about the good structure and order of the military the way that they march together, the way that they stand together, the way that they salute together. This is good order, and it's also firm. This is what Paul's talking about, good order and firmness. We understand God's Word, and we're firm in it. We're growing in our understanding of God's Word, and we're firm in it. We're loving others as best we can, and we're firm in that. We're not wavering, but we're trying to grow in these things so that we're not blowing around with every new thought, every new doctrine that comes around. I heard about this conversation the other day. This girl who's who's kind of lost her way spiritually used to call herself a Christian, doesn't anymore. And she made this phrase that in Buddhism... You, that the teaching is that when things don't go your way, you find a way to be content in that. That, that you, you keep yourself, you, you keep your mind content. And my first thought was, that's not from Buddha. That's Philippians 4. Paul says that when I was brought low, or whether I was brought high, or whether I was prospering, or whether I was in want... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, the difference between every other teaching and what Christ is saying is that you can do nothing apart from Christ. But it sounds good. Sure, we should be content. But you won't be content apart from Christ, it's impossible. So, let's grow in Christ's likeness. Let's be matured. Let's strive for a deeper understanding of who He is so that we can be firm in it. And being firm in it, we learn to love others well. We learn to love God with all that we are. Amen? Did you stand to your feet this morning?